Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my lovely Betwixters. It's me, Kate Lister. I am here with your fair dues warning to warn you about the naughtiness that might be coming your way. Well, there's not very much of a may about it. It's definitely coming your way because I'm talking to Catherine Curzon again today and she just brings out the worst in me. So... This is an adult podcast spoken by adults to other adults in an adulty way about adulty things, and you should be an adult too. We're definitely swearing. We're definitely veering into adult content. Actually, we do touch on mental health issues, so you might actually not want to listen to that one. And this is your chance to get out now while you still can, because fair dues, you have been warned. I am here with a public service announcement for all Bridgerton fans, Bridgerton viewers, Bridgerton fanatics. Bridget, Bridgetonians, is that what we call you? I don't know, but Bridgerton stands. People in the Regency era did not dance to orchestral covers of Beyonce. But apart from that, everything that you see on Bridgerton and the new spin-off series Queen Charlotte is absolutely 100% historically accurate. It is a watertight account of life in Regency Britain. <laughs> That is absolutely not true. That is one giant, giant fib. But the series is based on real people who lived real lives in real palaces and definitely had a lot of real sex. That's true, definitely. Today, we are getting betwixt the Georgian sheets to find out the true story behind Queen Charlotte. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Come on, Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. Imagine the scene, Betwixt us. It's dusk on a mild evening in 1761 and you're on the grounds of St. James's Palace. And then pretty soon some posh people come along and move you on because what on earth are you doing on the grounds of St. James's Palace, you complete pleb? <laughs> if you're not a pleb, if you're an aristocratic-y type of person, maybe you'd be attending a wedding in the Chapel Royale with a small congregation of other very posh people. There would be an atmosphere of excitement in the air and people leaning over one another to try and get a glimpse of the young couple who are about to tie the knot. And who is it? 
Well, it's none other than King George III marrying his new German bride, who is visibly shaking with nerves. Yep. Charlotte! She had just arrived off the ship from Germany that very day, just a few hours before the wedding. Her journey to England by ship with her brothers was treacherous. She suffered from terrible seasickness. She lost so much weight during the expedition that her wedding dress didn't fit her anymore by the time she arrived. And it's constantly slipping off her shoulders during the ceremony. But despite this very shaky start, this marriage would be a happy one for many years, which is a really rare occurrence in royal history. It's a marriage that would go on to see 15 children born with lots of entertainment and laughter at court. But it wasn't to last. It all came to an abrupt halt after the king suffered from his first bout of mental illness. And around 200 years on, their relationship is back in the spotlight after Netflix dropped a series called Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. Today, we are finding out who the real Queen Charlotte was. What kind of queen was she? What did she get up to in her spare time? How did she cope with George's repeated bouts of mental illness? Who better to take us on this journey but Regency expert Catherine Curzon, author of The Real Queen Charlotte. If you like this episode, you can go back to listen to Catherine debunking the real Bridgerton in an episode we did a few months ago. Honestly, she's so much fun. But today we are focusing on Queen Charlotte. Wigs and britches at the ready. Let's do this. Welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets. It's only Catherine Curzon. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm super excited again. I'm like all pumped again now. <laughs> I am eternally grateful to Netflix and their Bridgerton series and spin-offs because it means that I get to talk to you more and more yeah. and more on the podcast. Any excuse. Let's just do it. <laughs> Long may it rain. Yeah, keep them coming. Right. And it must be good for you as a Regency historian that everyone's focus is on that particular period of history and you can just swan in and go, well, did anyone ask for a Regency historian? <laughs> it is. And it's particularly because Queen Charlotte has been like forgotten, but she's just been this kind of support act to George III. And, you know, this kind of like long suffering, lovely lady. That's how she's been presented. It is, So isn't now it? people actually have heard of her. Yeah, it is. As if she's not really real. She's just this sort of like wet sock that just kind of hung around in the background, kneading her hands. When I think about it, and I never really thought about that much until Netflix went, oh, she was a total fox. But she was played by Helen Mirren in The Madness of King George, mm. wasn't she? And when you think of her, you do think of her as this kind of like, oh, the poor love, your husband went round the twist. Yeah, exactly. And she's just this cypher character who's just kind of like there, like I say, to sort of wring her hands and look worried and occasionally say meaningful things. So it's really good that Netflix has kind of come back to readjust this, although they may, may have readjusted it a smidgy smidge too far, because that's what we're talking about today. How accurate is the new series on Queen Charlotte? It's broadly accurate. <laughs> well, you can imagine it takes a lot of liberties. But yeah. I noticed this time out, they sort of open it with that, don't they? With a kind of stern voiceover saying, you know, this is not a history lesson. I've done all these interviews about it and I always go into the same, it's a Fantasia. Yep. And now they've started saying that right up front. So it's kind of like, thanks for that. Now I can just go watch the first 10 seconds. I am quite interested when series start doing things like that. It's like, what happened 
to necessitate them putting that warning there. Like, because mm. it wasn't in the first one. Everyone on the Bridgerton team must have just gone, no, they'll know that this isn't true. Mm. But something happened. We got carried away with it again. Somebody's let the side down and misbehaved. And now they've had to put a warning on it of just, it's not real history. Behave yourselves. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> this is it. This is because somebody somewhere has done or said something that's made Netflix go, nah, we have to put a warning on it. Been written in some GCSE history answer somewhere, hasn't it? <laughs> I actually bet you're right. Right, let's start with Queen Charlotte, because she's one of the kind of, I don't want to say supporting cast of characters in our royal history, but she's definitely been overlooked until now, hasn't she? So who is she? And what bits of the Netflix have they got right? She was the wife of George III. The mad one. Yeah, the mother of George IV. Yeah. And Netflix have got right about her coming to England as a young woman and being very sort of out of place. And they've got right that she and George had a, a real romance. There's a marriage of love. And that she struggled to fit in to some degree. And I think... Quite a lot of the rest of it is, again, this Bridgerton Fantasia, but they've also got right that she was desperate for her kids to have some kids, to produce some heirs. Mm. And as an older woman, she was absolutely obsessed with court and protocol. So they've got the broad strokes of Queen Charlotte on the money. Now, in the Netflix, she's being mm. played by a woman of colour, and there is some historians suggested and some evidence that the actual original Queen Charlotte may have been a person of colour as well. There is. I have to preface this by saying I'm not a genealogist. You don't sound very convinced. No, I'm not very convinced by this. Now, I know that about 10 generations back in a family tree, there's a suggestion that there was a Portuguese woman. And this is where the theory has originated. But, I mean, from my perspective, massively applaud Netflix for doing it, especially in this new series. They've really tried to explain, because, you know, obviously they got a lot of flack for the diversity in, amongst the casting. Outrageous. I mean, why would you want diversity? It's just behave yourself, everybody. But that kind of thing that, you know, I'm sure we've all seen people saying, well, how can this be? You know, it's, it's fine they're dancing to Taylor yeah. Swift, but this diversity has got to stop. <laughs> So I do like that in the new series, they've actually started to address that about why the nobility is diverse. That's really nice. I think there's a bit more way to go, mm -hmm. but I suspect we're going to see more of that because I assume there's going to be more spin-off series. But in reality, yeah, I mean, we don't have any record of, and there were multiple reports because you can imagine when they were looking for a wife for the king. There are multiple yeah. reports of what she looks like, the kind of reports you would see of a racehorse or something, you know, describing her arms and her bosoms and her teeth and her this and her that. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing in there that would suggest that she wasn't Caucasian. I really liked that story and it's not quite right. It's not quite right. I'm by no means an expert on the woman who's further up the family tree. It's, you know, it's way out of my era. But mm. I get the impression that she sounds like she was quite a character. So I kind of think Ooh, okay. what little I know about her, I feel like there might even be a story there. And I don't know if much is known about her, but I feel like she sounds like she might be quite an interesting character in herself. What little I know. Maybe we need a like 10 generations back prequel. Yeah, keep going. Absolutely. Okay. We're not quite sure if she was of mixed heritage or white, but probably, as you point out, somebody would have mentioned that in some of these very detailed descriptions of what she looks like when she's being... Yeah you know, basically advertised to the king. 
And the descriptions are absolutely, in some ways, brutal descriptions. So really, they describe everything. Like they describe like her hair's a little bit too fine and her teeth aren't the best or the but she's got great forearms. So they, they, they're not just a kind of like, she's nice looking kind of thing, or she's not. No. It does read basically like a livestock report sometimes. That's grim, isn't it? Who set up the marriage between her and George? Well, this is quite a good story because George's mother, who was very, very, I don't like to say domineering, but domineering. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted him to get married, but she wanted him to get married to someone that she would consider appropriate because she was very much the woman in George's life. Right. Okay. This sounds healthy. She didn't want to lose that influence. So basically they set up a kind of list, was drawn up of eligible princesses. And the woman had to be a Protestant. She had to be royal. And ideally she right. would be German. So they gave this list to George and he went through it and he crossed off loads of names. And some of the reasons were amazing. He crossed one off because she was too interested in philosophy. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, that's... that's that's trouble waiting to happen. And given what we know happened to George, ironically, he crossed another one off because he'd heard that her dad was mad. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he crossed others off because basically his mother didn't like him. She thought they were too flighty. And then they started to panic and they were like, we need to add people to the list who are completely non-controversial. Right. And one of the courtiers happened to have, I think it was his brother, was in Germany and said, well, I've heard of this minor person you won't have heard of her she's not really that impressive stick her name on the list and that was her and she was actually just about to go into a convent and she'd started you know she'd done the sort of like early stages of that and her mother had decided no one was going to marry her because she wasn't rich enough they weren't very powerful didn't have much influence and as George went down the list he kind of said oh she's I mean it's not very nice but essentially she's a bit bland is how he saw it. So wow. she sounds perfect. Yeah. Was she royalty? Was she a royal? Was she like hanging around with royalty? Was she aristocracy? No, she was royal blood, but she, oh, was, she was very minor. Yeah, right. she was very, very minor. But one thing that we know later is that because she was actually more royal than George, despite being minor, because they were not a very powerful family. Right. But to, at dinner parties, she used to tell everyone how she was like the most royal. And because George had an illegitimate line up further up the line, basically, that she was more royal than he was because George I's wife had been born out of wedlock. And she attracted some criticism from other nobles for that. I imagine she would, yes. Yeah, she was too snotty about it. And she acted sometimes like George was kind of like a bit of rough because he couldn't trace. <laughs> All the way back. That's a hell of a flex, isn't it? Is to like arrive in yeah. another country, marry their king and go, actually, I'm the most royal. Like, I might not have the power that you do and I might not have the money that you do, but look at my family tree. That self-confidence, that is something else, isn't it? It is. And I think that gets lost because people like to say that she was like really, oh, she's really meek and timid. No. I was going to say, she doesn't sound very bland, does she? She doesn't no. sound very delicate. Yeah, because he didn't want anyone political. She wasn't political at all. She didn't want to be right. in politics. Okay. She wasn't interested in it. But when she felt strongly about something, she felt strongly. She okay. dug her heels in. So she's a German lady, royal, but kind of not super, like if she was at the Royal Coronation, she might be a few seats back. Yeah, exactly. So they'd been raised 
kind of middle class. They got sort of chased out of their territories by Frederick the Great. Her dad loved to spend, so they were a tiny bit impoverished. Right. So they're kind of like, you know, those landed gentry where the houses are falling down? Yes. They're a bit like that. Yeah. Okay. So she's got the blood, but no bank balance. So she's about to go into a convent. So how old is she when George goes, ah, this is the boring bride for me? She was 17 when she married him. So she was like 16, yeah. And before he did that, he sent an envoy off to sort of spy on her, basically. Nice, nice. And the envoy watched her and her mum and her sister. They were at a spa town. And he noticed she liked to gamble and that when she lost, she would basically kick up a massive fuss. So (laughs) they were like, oh, I'm not sure. She's got a gambling problem. And he also noticed that the morning after a win, she'd disappear for hours. But happy ending, when he followed her, she disappeared because she was distributing her winnings to the poor. (laughs) So she was only angry when she lost. (laughs) Yeah, because she couldn't distribute her winnings to the poor. So again, a big tick. That reads to me like she got busted, realised what was going on and bribed the person reporting reporting back. I actually love that. I love that. And the more they got these reports in England, his mum particularly was saying, you know, she didn't look very threatening because there was a woman in England that George had kind of tipped his hat at. Okay. Who he liked. He had an interested party in England that his mum did not like at all. Right. So she wanted her out of the way and somebody unthreatening. Okay. So Charlotte gets brought over from Germany, age 17, with... A potential gambling problem, although she just likes to give money to the poor. In all of our royal history, there aren't many happy marriages, but they actually seem to have got on quite well, don't they, Charlotte and George? Yeah, they did. That's one of the sad things about what actually happened eventually, because, yeah, theirs was a really rare one, particularly with George and King, that when they first met, you know, they were both, he was a li- not much older, a little bit older, a few years older. But he was really timid. She was quite shy. Her mother died just before she left, so she was orphaned. Oh, that's sad. So, you know, she came over as a teenager. She was only allowed to bring two friends. But in the end, she she bought a third because she wouldn't travel without her hairdresser. I respect that. So she bought her hairdresser with her. The lovely bit of that story is because obviously he's a man, they decided he had to get married before he came because otherwise it might look a bit... Nice, clever. So then he got married, but then... They just left his wife in Germany for years. It's so fucked up. She came over with her friends and her hairdresser. And yeah, they got on really, really well. They'd had interest in that both were into their religious faith. Mm. And they were into kind of the natural sciences. And neither one of them liked a showy life. So they both wanted this middle class marriage set up. And she didn't want to get into politics. He didn't want her to get into politics. So really... In a way that most of the other Georgian kings were not, they were a really well-suited couple. They had loads of kids, didn't they? They had 15. So she was pregnant or recovering from a birth for something like the first 22 years of a marriage. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? That it was just like literally birth after birth after birth after birth. Like pretty much for some people, it could be every year of their fertile years. It's one of those things where you kind of go, someone said to me the other day, well, yeah, but she had nannies and she did have all that. She also had a vagina that these things were coming out of. Exactly. You have to physically carry and deliver all of those babies. Exactly. Once they're born, you've got all kinds of help. But ultimately, as you say, you know, it's your vagina they're coming 15 out 15 people. <laughs> 15 babies <laughs> marching out your royal hoo-ha. What, are there any records of what her health was like? Because like, obviously childbirth is very dangerous. It's still very dangerous. Well, she was considered inordinately robust. Sturdy. Basically because she managed to stay alive. Well done, Charlotte. Yes, yeah, she was sturdy, which was an 
again, seen as then they'd made a really good choice <laughs> because she was good childbearing stuff. But she did find some of the pregnancies, as you would imagine, quite trying. Yeah. You know, she found them exhausting, which there's got to be a point where just your body goes, do you know what? This is a lot. Yeah. This is a heck of a lot. And then she had the other problem that because all her children seemed like they were going to survive, that people were kind of like, mm, you know, like that's a bit lucky. And then two died in infancy, at which point one correspondent said, Oh, now she can call herself oh, a mother. Yeah, fuck Because she's finally had a child. That yeah, like oh my god! So delivering fifteen babies—that's not qualification enough. Oh, what a shitty thing to say. I know. So two of the babies died, and did the rest make it to adulthood? They did. The two that died died. They lived through infancy, but they were very, very young. The rest made it to adulthood, but as they kind of went down the line, their health got weaker, if you like. Oh, okay. So the last child barely made it to adulthood, and she was kind of really weak for most of her life. But the first ones, like the Prince Regent, were politely put strapping. Right. And they kind of got, yeah, like a little bit less healthy as they went down the line. Now, whether that's because, obviously, Charlotte herself was put under the strain of all of those pregnancies and also other strains in her life. Because obviously, as she's pregnant, as the years are going on, she's dealing with George being unwell and her own having to cope with that. But yeah, they did seem to start to decline. I'll be back with Catherine for more Queen Charlotte chat after this short break. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From biblical fame to its fabled great walls, Babylon was home to kings, conquerors, and wonders of the ancient world. But what do we actually know about this legendary city? And how much is still shrouded in mystery? Join me, Tristan Hughes, every Sunday throughout May on the Ancients as we delve into the story of Babylon. 
We'll be covering topics varying from the King Nebuchadnezzar II and how he forged a massive Babylonian empire. We'll be exploring the mystery of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, looking at world-renowned objects such as the Cyrus Cylinder, and also looking at Babylon in the aftermath of one of the most well-known conquerors in the whole of history, Babylon after Alexander the Great. That's all to come this May on The Ancients every Sunday. kids all right she's got nannies but holy shit mm. that's a lot to be dealing with isn't it and she's got a husband and things seem to start well but he isn't a well bunny is he george III? he was not a well bunny no i know like the queen charlotte series obviously has her you know she's a little bit suspicious of where he's going and what he's doing and then she finds out he's trying to deal with his mental health that's fictional right okay that didn't happen george actually he had a couple of periods where he fell ill but he recovered but then he had a period of illness that started with really bad stomach pains right he'd already had one bad period in the 1760s but he'd come through it but this one it was in 1788 and this was the kind of first real crisis of health that he'd had and he had these terrible stomach pains which were put down to stress but this was the start of his first mental breakdown or his first severe one, the one that nearly led to the early regency. Had there been any like rumblings of this beforehand, like looking back at his health? Or had he always been, you know, like in fine fettle and a strapping lad? His mother considered that he was kind of a delicate boy. Sickly child. <laughs> yeah. And he was also seen to be really sensitive. And his dad died when he was quite young. And he wrote at the time that he said that when he heard the news that his dad had died, that he felt like a pain in his heart. And he said he'd seen a workman fall to his death from some scaffolding at Kew. And that the pain he felt felt like that. And that was seen as being all like he's, he's a bit sensitive. you know, he's, mm. Because you were supposed to, um, obviously I'm not saying this, but you'd be expected to just kind of saddle up, if you like. Yeah and grow up so he'd always been seen as quite sensitive and dominated and this is something that we see a lot that people said at the time oh you know he does his mother tells him like if she could she'd chain him up and all this so he'd always had very delicate health as well like he was very interested in sort of farming and physical stuff like that but he had brushes with ill health in childhood as well yeah and there was one point where he thought he might not even survive childhood so a bit of a gentle soul it seems he was yeah when he's married to charlotte before like you know before the crisis that happens was he like a philandering king or were they was he shagging around or was he just quite a home bird? unlike his predecessors and certainly his son <laughs> no he was completely dedicated wow it's kind of sad to think that like in the whole of royal history i'm quite taken aback mm. by that that this was a king who didn't have loads of mistresses. Not only was that accepted, but like the position of royal mistress at court was an official position. I mean, if you think about George II actually, you know, taking a mistress because people mm. started to nudge each other because he didn't have one. And, you know, that was seen as like shocking that he didn't have one. So he made up for that, you know, yes. years to come. <laughs> but yeah, George III, because he wanted George III to have this middle class, pious, faithful life, mm. like sort of faith driven lifestyle. And I think as well that what we know about him is he was just kind of a really quiet guy. You know, he liked his books and he yeah. liked his gardening. 
And he liked to sort of sit and listen to music with his wife. It doesn't sound like a king, does it? No. It's like a nice retired gentleman. Yeah, you know, like the sort of lusty loins of his sons. Mm. <laughs> no. no. He didn't have any of that. Yeah, he was, <laughs> as a young man even, he was like you'd think of, yeah, a nice retired gentleman. Oh, but then something happens to him and it's been mm. the subject of debate and conjecture for, for forever of like what happened to poor George. He clearly had some kind of breakdown and he couldn't rule mm. as king. There's so much debate as to like, what was it? Was it bipolar disorder? Was it porphyria? I've heard people suggesting it was like a physical illness mm. before. Was it, tell me what happens and what does it look like when he gets ill? Like, what are we talking? With? Like, is it tinfoil around the head time? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's not far off. That. I mean, it always started with a physical pain. It always started with that, like, terrible stomach pains. Now, whether yeah. they were actual stomach pains but in terms of like layman's terms it's what you would think of as he just went mad kind of like overnight so he starts literally rambling for hours and hours and hours just doesn't take a breath and actually physically frothing at the mouth and then he'll come into dinner and on one occasion pick up the adult prince Mm. of wales and threw him across the room and this was this king who had he'd never been the disciplinarian that was charlotte's job he didn't really you know physically chastise his children and suddenly his temper was like this violent, terrifying temper. He was sexually hugely inappropriate towards his, um, the household and this kind of thing. Wow. So it was what we would term like a real Jekyll and Hyde. It was like a switch flip. Came on overnight, it seems. Like he woke up sick almost. Like it, yeah. that's how sudden this yeah. was. And he had a moment where just before he fell really ill, he'd been unwell. His doctors had said, you must cancel all your business. Don't go into Parliament. Stay in the countryside. But as so many of us do, he was like, no, 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 I have to keep going. And he got more and more and more stressed. There was an occasion where he turned up to Parliament and the ministers had to take him away and properly dress him because, you know, he looked like he kind of slept under a hedge. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of overnight, one night. Yeah. Woke up. Really ill. Yeah. Really, really ill. And he was certainly referred to as mad at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. So we've got really inappropriate behaviour, sexually inappropriate behaviour, violent rage outbursts, alterations in personality. It sounds like this is just Oprah training talking. This could be like a mania thing, like what we'd now call bipolar. That's what I wondered. Like, yeah, like you say, like, I'm totally the same as you, like Oprah training on this. <laughs> but he would go through that and then he'd become really melancholy and he'd cry a lot. Okay. He'd have like manic peaks and troughs and he really really couldn't bear to be away from the queen but she was so frightened of him because they they shared a bed in a bedroom which was really unusual she started locking the bedroom door but he wouldn't leave her dressing room the room joined onto her bedroom because he wanted to know she was there but she started waking up in the night and he'd just be standing by the bed staring at her oh that's not nice yeah so she got so scared of him but which yeah, you fair. can understand, you know. Mm. And then there were other occasions when he sort of, on one occasion, he burst in and threw her on the bed and her attendants had to drag him off her. And I think this is why in the story she gets a bit swamped because what was happening to him was so extreme. Yeah. And I think, you know, that I've heard from people who have had spouses and loved ones who have suffered from mental breakdowns, that they themselves have said that sometimes you feel a bit that way, like as if you're completely on your own, but you have to deal with it. Because, you know, all the attention is on the person who's suffering. What did she do to cope with this? What treatment was there? Are there records of how she not treated him because she couldn't, but like, how did she try and help him? How did she help herself? 
Well, she tried to help him by they brought in some doctors before she brought in the famous, what they called the mad doctor, Francis Willis, who's the one you see in The Madness of King George. The one that shouted at him, basically. Basically, yeah. Other doctors were brought in by the Prince of Wales, but the problem they had was because the Prince of Wales was starting to kind of think, oh, I could end up the regent here. Yeah. That he wanted to control the information that was coming out. So the Queen wasn't getting any updates on the King's health. They were all going to Prince of Wales. And she started to get really upset. About, you know, she started in herself to physically become unwell. So we know because Frances Burney, who was one of her attendants and confidants, said that she weight just fell off her and her hair, you know, Aww. the classic, her hair started to turn grey and drop out. And she said that she would just pace her apartments for hours and hours and hours, just murmuring, like, what will become of us? And She really loved him, didn't she? She really did love him. And I think particularly then that she had absolutely, like, no way of coping with this. So, you know, you're the queen, so you're about as isolated mm. as it gets. She's an orphan. She's not been allowed to bring anyone she knows, so she's had to form new friendships. And who do you go to? Because as well, all of the learned men, and I use that, in speech marks that she tried to speak to whether they were government ministers or attendant courtiers her own sons just kind of went it's okay you look after the girls you look after the children and you leave this with us and we'll tell you what you need to know so really you're just left like in a limbo and obviously because there was all this agitation going on about the possible regency if the king didn't recover that's another layer of worry because she was thinking if the prince of wales is made regent and gets his hands on the money and the this and the that He's going to bankrupt us. He's not going to care about his dad. She and the Prince of Wales were either best friends or worst enemies. There was no in between. Mm. And reading the papers of the time as the king's health collapsed, she just becomes like a ghost. Like she's there on the sidelines kind of trying to know what's happening and trying to hold it together. But God, I can't imagine. And mental health, unfortunately, is still very stigmatised today in 2023. And when it comes to royalty and mental health, I don't think we need to look too far to see that people still aren't willing to have those discussions. People will still meet those discussions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how dare Harry say that his mental health suffered? You know, the right wing press got really aggressive Mm -hmm. and shitty about that, let alone when poor George and Charlotte were trying to deal with this. So there must have been an added pressure that nobody can know what's happening here. Yeah, because obviously at the time as well, they issued daily bulletins in the newspapers. Still mad, still totally mad. Yeah, that's what it's like. And when it's physical health, they'll say, past a bad night. And basically day by day, count down someone. You know, we saw it with the late Queen. Twitter was updating every minute, but it was done every day. But Charlotte was really protective that this not get out. And when it did, there were a couple of papers that published just mentions of it. And she went absolutely berserk. She was threatening legal action. She was telling people to get the papers and burn them. Because I think on the one hand, she was worried about, you know, obviously there's always Mm. people jockeying for power. She had that worry. And on the other, as you say, the stigma of it, this was something that's not talked about, you know, even now, like you say, it's stigmatized. And she just was like, I don't know how to cope with this. People shouldn't know about this. Because if they know about this, they're going to start pointing the finger and trying, you know, to sort of like move the chess pieces how they want them. So what happens to them in the end? I mean, obviously, you know, they all die. Does George's health ever recover to the point where they can live as a couple again? Or do they have to live? Yes. Oh, okay. On that first time out, it recovered. Right. And it recovered within a year. So they were right on the edge of this kind of, there was going to be a vote on the Regency Bill and will it be the Prince of Wales? And suddenly he started to recover. Okay. And he 
sort of turned the corner very, very quickly. And everybody, all the doctors were told then, this is it, he's, he's better. He's over it, it was workplace stress, he's fine. And there were medals were given out to celebrate. There were parties because Charlotte didn't actually invite her eldest sons to the celebration because she was like, you know, they're going to teach you a lesson, you're not invite her. Twat, yes. <laughs> looked as if it was all going to be all right. And then a little bit over a decade later, he relapsed. Decade. Oof. Yeah, he relapsed and he just didn't recover. This was the one that kind of became, if you like, the madness yeah, yeah. of King George. What's interesting is this is in the 1780s. That's where we'd seen her start to gather her daughters, particularly to her, mm. that she wanted to create because, as we say, it's a lonely life. So she thought, these people, I want female confidence that I can trust, if you like, not to, not literally, but not to sell the story. And who better? than your own daughters. Yeah, well, that's a fair assumption. Exactly. So she starts to create her own little inner circle made up of her daughters. One of them managed to get out and get married in the interim, in the recovery, but she was the only one that, once George fell ill again, none of them were allowed to get married then until they're into well into middle age. We're talking to the latter half of the Regency at this point. Right. A little bit controlling now. They were barely allowed out. Okay, this isn't a great look for Charlotte. No, this is where that I think she get again, she gets lost in this kind of like, oh, she was just this like dewy-eyed, caring. She was a caring wife, but she was absolutely obsessed with keeping her daughters with her. It's gone a bit Mother Gondoly, hasn't it? Yes. This is where yeah. we have them referring to themselves as the Windsor Nunnery and one of them writing a letter saying, you know, they should put us in a second drowners. Because we're just like useless old cats. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, they were more massively unhappy. Massively. I didn't know that. That's that's quite a statement, isn't it? That you, yeah. you know, obviously you don't need to be drowned as cats because you're a princess. There'll always be someone to marry. You don't even <laughs> exactly. worry about that. Exactly. But, <laughs> but wow. So she's <laughs> exerting quite a lot of control there. Yeah, she did. And she created, whether willingly or not, but she created little factions among the daughters. So she'd have favourites. Oh. Right. Okay. Okay. So we're playing games now. Yeah. She'd kind of have one that was a favorite at one time. So the others would sort of not quite trust that one. And then when that one fell from favor, yeah, that one fell out of favor. She'd replace her. But she got so paranoid about them, about how they were perceived that she said, it's not appropriate for you to go out and be seen out while your father's ill. Well, he was ill for 20 years. And she got to a point where she wouldn't even let them visit their own brothers without chaperones. She doesn't sound very well herself, actually. This sounds no, like I quite narcissistic, that. paranoid mm. behaviour now. It's exactly what I think. And it all started to come to head. They started to have incredibly, like, not physically, but violent arguments. You know, there was mm. Bibles were thrown at each other. And the thing that she did, which to me is, you know, classic narcissist, that when they upset her, when the rage didn't work, she just went silent until they sort of almost begged her, like, please speak to us again, like, please. It's brutally effective, the silent treatment, but that's like page one of the narcissist toxic parent handbook, that one, isn't it? Yeah, and she knew how effective that was because she mentioned, it was Prince of Wales, said something about she just won't speak to them kind of thing, and she knows, like, there's nothing more powerful than that. Wow. Because their lives were isolated too, so, you know, the more silence, the worse. Some sort of nasty mum territory, really. Yeah. So when she wasn't, like, obsessively controlling her daughter's life to the point where they wanted to be put in sacks and drowned, nice. <laughs> like, what What did she do? Like, what else? Like, for hobbies and stuff. She was absolutely mad about botany. She loved botany. 
But botany. 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 <laughs> I thought you meant buttoned. That was so. Oh, no, that'd be lovely too, actually. She was crazy about botany, and she designed gardens and fostered gardens at Kew and Windsor and the Royal Household. Nice. And she was a bit of an expert on it. And some of her daughters, she sort of imparted that love to them. She was super into mineral allergy, minerals basically as well. You know, like geology. She was super into that. Rocks. Rocks. And she loved, loved exotic animals. She had a little menagerie. Yeah. And she had, there are a couple of stories that I absolutely love. She had a zebra in this menagerie. And the zebra was super (laughs) antisocial. And the upper classes were like, wouldn't it be great if we could use this zebra to create a kind of fleet of zebras to pull our coaches? But anyone that went near it basically would like try and kill them. Dysfunctional zebras. Then she got these kangaroos, but the, well, the kangaroos proved so fecund (gasps) that they couldn't control the number of babies they were having. So they started giving kangaroos to nobility to, as gifts. And I just love this idea. You know, like when you get a gift you don't want. Another fucking kangaroo that she's given. <laughs> yeah, girl, she's given us another fucking kangaroo. Yeah. So she, they were, and her really big passion, she was like the, the charitable queen. Oh, okay. So if there was a charity, she was there. And she had a real focus on women and girls. That was like her charitable interest. Okay, all right, so we're redeeming her a little bit. Yeah, but she raised a lot of money for what became Queen Charlotte's and Chelsea Hospital. She started, you probably you will have heard, Queen Charlotte's Ball, mm-hmm. you know, where they all kind of line up to say hello to her. <laughs> she hated doing that. She said she felt like she was always in the way and that they just wanted to sort of like get to the dancing. But yes, yeah, her big thing was philanthropy and she filled hours and hours and she spent an absolute fortune on charities. There was a point where people start to get a bit worried that she's spending too much on charity. But obviously, it's not like her son where they said he's spending too much on actresses. It's a difficult one to deal with that, isn't it, from a PR relationship. You're being too generous. But we have stories of her like literally pulling a diamond out of something she was wearing and giving it to somebody or that because a little family, I think woodcutters or something, sheltered her during a rainstorm at Windsor that then she sent them loads of food to say thanks. And then the wife came to Windsor to thank her and she sent more food. So maybe that story then about her gambling to give money to the poor when she was young was true. I think, yeah, I think that it might be. I mean, there was, a, you know, Caroline of Brunswick, the Prince of Wales' yes. wife. There was a similar story with her, but the version of her was that she only wanted to go and see local peasants who had strapping men at home. <laughs> that's, that's a woman I can identify with. It's all charitable. It's all charitable. That she'd say she'd been in with the children, but really there was like a strapping woodcutter. <laughs> well played. Well played. Wasn't Queen Charlotte pen pals with Marie Antoinette as well? She was, yeah. And they obviously had quite a lot in common. They both married really young. They were both pretty sheltered. Both married into, you know, kind of feels weird saying it about Britain now, Mm. but a superpower. Yeah, she was. And she wrote to Marie Antoinette all through, you know, the terror and right up to the end. And she sent her clothes and she sent gifts for the children. And I think Marie Antoinette's death, it must have been a bit of an eye-opener for her. You know, to see someone else who had had this, what looked like an immense, and you know, there was an immense amount of privilege in these marriages. But to see how that could end. And I think particularly when the Prince of Wales, then Prince Regent, became super unpopular and there was a lot of radical stirring. She must have thought back to that and thought, mm, you know, this has happened before. We need to tread carefully. 
Because that's quite a big deal to see your pen pal. Like, you know, it's part of history now. And we go, oh, they executed the, the royal family. But, like, imagine, like, the shock of that that sent around the world. Like, imagine if we decided mm. to execute the royal family today. It's it's hugely shocking. And if you were a queen, yeah. you know, suddenly perhaps that throne doesn't seem quite so stable. Perhaps I will give more money to charity and I will look after the poor a bit more than I am doing, perhaps. Yeah. And I think as well that I, she must have had a little bit of a, that thought, oh, God, you know, I'm glad we do live this kind of quiet mm. life. You know, they had huge wealth and privilege, but in royal terms, mm. they didn't flaunt it too much. I think well played. What happens to Charlotte? So her poor husband becomes incredibly poorly, like to the point where it's like, right, yeah. he doesn't, he just doesn't recover. What happens to her? Is there any chance that her son George looked after her and, and that she had a nice retirement? He did. Oh, he did. Oh, okay. He did. Because, they, as I say, they were either at daggers drawn or best friends. Mm. But as the years went on, they became very, very close. They were super close. They were kind of each other's confidants, you know. Yeah. And as the daughters started to get married, which, again, George started to broker the marriages, because he was someone that they would say he could talk his mother around. Yeah. So they started to leave and get married. And she started to basically mellow. I think as she realised, you know, things were slipping away, she was... Becoming a, and Bridgerton do this really well with her in, in the old fashioned dress. She was becoming a bit of a relic of a different era. Okay. And she was being like past. She was, you know, like the old queen. So she had her retirement and she was okay. She was, she was very happy when Princess Charlotte of Wales was born. She loved having a granddaughter. Obviously she died. I think with Queen Charlotte, the feeling that I got when I was writing a biography is that it, there was a melancholy about her, if you like. That even when she was happy, there was always a melancholy because she was always, she was kind of a widow, but her husband was still alive. But she did kind of mend her bridges with her children. The one sad thing about her death is that she was at Kew, she was very unwell, and she was absolutely frantic to go to Windsor. She wanted to be with George when she died, but she was too unwell to go. So eventually she had to sort of, I guess, come to terms with that. And we know that she died very, very peacefully with her children around her. But yeah, there's this inescapable melancholy to her life because she was the one that looks like, in terms of her marriage, that she had a, a crack at a really happy one. Yeah, that is something that's quite sad about all this, is that, mm. and a bit cruel as well, because you could count mm. really happy royal marriages on one hand, couldn't you? This seemed yeah. like it really was. And, it, and if it hadn't have been happy, if it had been a setup, you know, that they really couldn't stand each other, him going bananas would probably have been like, brilliant, you crack on. I'm yeah. just, I'm going to go over here then. I'm going to do a bit of royal touring and, and wear my crown. But that's not what happened. It's not. And she just really dedicated herself to being the sort of keeper of his legacy, if you like. That oh, she was his official guardian. She kept an eye on the doctors and she blamed herself for Francis Willis and how George was so frightened of this doctor and I was treated. And, yeah, it's just this absolute sort of inescapable cloud of melancholy that follows that marriage round. And, you know, mm. I sort of wish you'd go. And at the end, this happened, it's really happy. But at the end, she died peacefully, which I guess that's something. Not did. But... Yeah. Yeah. Catherine, you have just been amazing to talk to today. And uh, my final question to you is... If and and if they haven't done it already, they should do. If Netflix phone you up to be the historical consultant for the new Queen Charlotte series, what advice would you give to them? What would you like to see more of or less of? I know it's all a fantasy. I know that. Yes. <laughs> I want to see them represent the relationship with their daughters properly because it was an incredibly Ooh. complex relationship of dependency and codependency. We have one that claimed that she wanted, um, you know, she said, my mother wants me to die and all this kind of thing. And 
there's so much nuance to it that I hope that they don't just do it as kind of like we've all seen it before you know like Cat Slater type thing on Eastern yeah. <laughs> just like mothers and daughters <laughs> at all. so I that's what I'd like to see I hope that they do it with the nuance that it deserves because there's way more to this than just women shouting at each other brilliant oh, Catherine and if people want to know more about you and your work where can they find you they can find me on Twitter as Catherine Curzon or Madam Gilflet or just search for Frocking Fabulous and you'll find me there Fabulous. And give us give us the title of the book. It's The Real Queen Charlotte. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. What a great way to spend an afternoon. Thank you so much to Catherine for coming on the podcast again. I love talking to you. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you have any ideas for future episodes or if you just want to say hi, you can now get in touch with us. And our address is betwixt at historyhit.com. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast includes music from Epidemic Sounds. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.